All right, let's do, wait. Are you recording? Because I, I, yeah. I, I've literally been, I've been, I've been literally waiting for this moment all day ever since. So, are you recording? <laughs> I'm recording. Okay, so I'm putting it right next to my microphone, and I'm using my exacto knife, usually only used to violate sprues and shave off flash. Oh, and I'm slice. Uh, I'm slicing through the shrink wrap right now. Oh, you can all, you can barely hear it. I think I think I think it's important that we just have this moment, you know, of silence. Semi silence. Alright, here we go. I watch a lot of YouTubers that open stuff on and I never understood it until now. I just had to care enough about something. Alright. Alright, so uh so yeah. I used to teach. Uh, I used to teach high school, so I, I'm pretty good at uh, like describing things, I guess, that people might not be able to see. But uh, if at any point in time, this is more of a random session. Uh, again, not sure if we're even going to put it out there, but like, it's really cool to see everybody here. Uh, this is the. This is this is it. This is the codex. We're not going to focus on rules or anything. Um, and we can field questions and stuff like that. Marlon's got his hand up. Marlon, if you want to come up here, just uh, just uh, feel feel free. Wake of Ash, uh, come on up. What's up? How's it going, guys? Uh, about uh, hopefully about to be really awesome, or like <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to start like yeah, I'm going to start spontaneously <laughs> drinking. Um, yeah, but I, I'm super yeah. excited. <laughs> Take a shot every time you see Ethereal Man. Ah. Uh, <laughs> That's actually a really uh, good. My, my question was, uh, as you're going through it, if you notice any new uh, art, any new oh. art where we're not, where Tau are not getting slaughtered, uh, just like let us know and try and describe there's it. There's some there's absolutely. some good art in there, and it's like new art too. Yeah, but I'll I'll absolutely I'll, I'll absolutely do that. Wake up, Ash. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Well, let's just jump in. All right. I got the book in hand. Got the uh, Warhammer 40k or 40,000 title. It's got the codex and everything in a weird, uh, like a inquisitorial reference. Xenos 23986-TE6. Uh, that's like on the codex. I have no idea what that is, but a little inquisitorial, inquisitorial like reference. So I guess I guess the first thing to assume is that this book might be. Uh, from the Inquisition's perspective. Um, I'm opening the first page, and it's a bunch of heads in jars screaming. So kind of set in a weird tone. Uh, but okay, cool. Um, all right. So Tau Empire. It's the first page. Bright burns the light of the Tau Empire. Relentless is its advance. They come first with words of friendship, promising enlightenment and strength through unity. Denied, they come again in a sudden storm of fire. Selfless and swift are their warriors. Mighty are their weapons of war. Yet it is their unwavering dedication to the Tauva, the greater good that is their deadliest weapon of all. And uh, just to mention, uh, Wake of Ash got some pretty interesting grimdark artwork uh, depicting three different types of... Uh, fire warriors um two females and a male and then a weird a weird ethere like ethereal looking guy uh in the background uh the artwork is matching a lot of that semi-real like blurred 
stuff that we've been seeing with the Space Marine codexes. So lots of uh, like frozen lens flares and everything. Um, cool. So going to jump right past the introduction. Got the got the codex art uh, here with a bunch of fireworks. It looks like they're yeah they're fighting orcs. But that's uh, what's been circulating already. Got the shield drone and the uh, it looks like the yeah, riptides in the background uh, that are deep striking in. So again, uh, gonna try to stick to lore, and looks like it is kicking off with first contact. Um, we've got the original Codex artwork depicting the Adeptus Mechanicus arriving on Tau um, several thousand years ago. Um, I'll just I'll just start reading. Rise to prominence. The first contact the Imperium had with the Tau is believed to have occurred shortly before the, the age of apostasy. Records of such antiquity are, of course, subject to much degradation. Moreover, because this contact was made by the Adeptus Mechanicus, those data logs that endure are guarded with acquisitive jealousy. For all this, there are those among, amongst the Order of Xenos and the Death Watch who have accessed the blessed records and pieced together disturbing revelations for, from them. It appears that the world of Tau was surveyed from the void by the Adeptus Mechanicus Explorator ship Land's Vision, and its Xenos denizens discovered. At this time, however, the Tau were little more than primitive savages. Their world was marked for purgation and human resettlement. Before this sentence could be carried out, however, warp storm activity cut Tau off from the Imperium. Millennia passed before humanity and Tau met again, yet not nearly so long as to explain the burgeoning stellar empire into which the aliens had flourished in the intervening time. Such explosive technological and cultural advancement had, has disquieted Imperial observers deeply. While the Tau might register as little more than an irritant to the Imperium at the moment, if their expansion and development continues at such a rapid pace, there's no telling what manner of galactic threat their empire will become. Okay. Um, well, let's think about that for a second. Um, first of all, I think it's kind of cool that they're saying that, uh, you know, we might not know when the first contact happened. I, I actually like that. Um, I like it when they add like vagaries in there and, and make it something indeterminate. Um, but I take umbrage, obviously, and nothing's changed, by the way. It's always been Land's vision. It's always been the Adeptus Mechanicus that came down first. Um, I've always said that I don't find the warp storms that cut off the region to be particularly like interesting because one, I mean, up up to a point, uh, very few, very few beings in the in the Warhammer forty thousand universe can actually affect uh, the creation of warp storms. And at the time, just before the Age of Apostasy, the entire galaxy was wracked by unusual warp storms, like from one end to the other. So. You know, I, I've always, in my opinion, I always think it's like the tower, basically what life could look like when it's not messed with by any of the ancient species. But that's just my own theory. Does some little fucky wookie shit. Yeah, right. Oh, hey, you're supposed to, you know, hey, watch, watch your language, <laughs> Retrix. Retrix. <laughs> So first contact, located far out upon the eastern fringe of Imperial space, Tau is a small world with a sing single continental landmass and a swift and magnificent sunrise. It has been the scene of strife and great conflict in its time and has also served as the cradle of a civilization that even now bears its light even further into the darkness between the stars. So that's kind of cool. They're like, 
they're like kind of boiling down the white dwarf, uh, the original white dwarf article that announced the town actually, you know, describing using some of the descriptions there. So that's cool. Um, I'll kind of skim a little bit over. It gets pretty thick with detail, but it, it kind of says everything that we know about them. Um, uh, basically, here, let's see. Um, yeah, that they, they basically evolved on Savannah Plains and the mountains of their homeworld. They develop language. Um, they're, they, they, in the first paragraph, they mentioned that they're short-lived when compared to human standards. Um, and basically, oh, that's cool. That, that basically they, they prop up generational, like basically handing the torch down between the generations. Uh, that's, that's an aspect. Like, acknowledging yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, that's something that I, I, I it was Fehavari in his books that really like, uh, really hammered home this idea that the Tao don't have a problem with passing the torch down to the next generation. It's not like there's this desperation to, to make an, you know, make an impact that human beings, human beings typically have. And is actually the reason why they don't, at least from Fehavari's uh, standpoint, uh, they don't, um, they don't seek prolonging their lives. Um, uh, artificially, so um, so that's kind of cool. Um, the par- the paragraph goes on and and uh, basically uh, says that the Tao began to diverge both physically and mentally. Well, that's interesting. So strong and warlike plains hunters, tough skilled builders and settlers, loquacious merchants and diplomats, winged messengers. Okay, so they're just straight up saying the air cast is winged. Um, each became entrenched in their nature as fortresses rose and black powder weapons proliferated. Tribal alliances formed, wars erupted, and so began the Monta, a dark time of conflict that looked destined to drive the Tao to extinction. It is a shadow the modern Tao fear, even now, for it speaks of a darkness within their collective psyche whose resurgence they will always dread. Um, Again, great, great to bring up some... Uh, ancillary articles and 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 white dwarves and stuff like that, and kind of boil it down into the introductory uh, page of the book. I, I actually really like that. That's that's cool. Um, and then yeah, and then again, they they reinforce the the arrival of the ethereals is again. It's not a historical reference. It is is it's a myth. It's it's like a creation myth. Um, and that there are strange lights in the so- uh, sky over a uh, over a city uh, called Feotan which they've added a new apostrophe to. So, uh, yep. That's <laughs> <laughs> your favorite. So it's, yeah, it's, it's now it's Feotan. Um, so uh, this was a place where a mighty, a mighty fortress uh, lay besieged. Ethereals walked calmly out of the night and compelled the leaders of both sides to sit down and agree, uh, agree to a peace where none had before been possible. Legend tells how the Ethereals spoke long with the assembled Tao who, until so recently, had sought one another's deaths. The Ethereals told of a shared destiny. They projected a sense of undeniable authority, and in the light of a new dawn, they secured an alliance and cooperation between the warring factions. Uh, Countless similar tales abound, even if some are apocryphal or have been exaggerated. Still, it cannot be argued that, whatever their mysterious provenance, the Ethereals ended the Montau and united their species in a single goal. So, hey, that's cool. I, again, I I really love the reintroduction to some of that Warhammer 40,000 uh, mythology, you know, lies, confusion, unreliable narrator and everything. That's great. That's this is all this is all cool. 
Um, what follows is uh, is kind of perhaps the story we all know. Uh, we have the we have the advancement into the first sphere. Um, the caste system created uh, that that basically sees the the, the five different um, let's call them subspecies uh, of Tau uh, turned into a, a craft system, a caste system. Excuse me, um, and uh, yeah, just. Um, yeah, and it does state just like the the leak said that the fire cast, uh, well, the the planes, the plane dwelling warriors were the last to join uh, join the rest of their species. But this unified drive towards progress saw the Tau establish orbital void cities and then push outwards to claim new worlds and systems for their own. Such swift advancement also subjected the Tau race to unbelievable stresses and challenges, encountering alien species, many of which proved hostile and had to be fought for survival. The constant push towards progress and territorial expansion that required selfless dedication from every member of Tau society. The burning need for fresh resources to power the endless toil, the burden of believing in their people's destiny to save the galaxy from itself. Huh, yeah, cool. Kind of general, doesn't go into it, obviously. Um, you know, we uh, previous uh, BFG articles state that the Nikasar were the first race to encounter the Tau at the edges of the Tau system. But, you know, still, uh, all of this is true in a kind of a general way. Um, all good. I'll turn the page. Um, we've got uh, we've got a breakdown basically of what the greater good actually is. Um, the Tauva can be summed up simply: it is the belief that the individual life of any given member of the Tau Empire is less is of less importance than the needs of the empire itself. Its adherents gladly expend incredible efforts, endure shocking hardships and lay down their lives without a second thought for the furtherance of the greater good. So that's in bold, and it is the, that, that, that is the definite, that's the textbook definition of the greater good. Um, cool, and then it's basically starts, uh, starts incorporating the, the Tau coming into contact with aliens. Uh, again, there's no mention of which aliens were first. It's kind of all, all very general. Um, and that basically the, uh, the water cast became diplomats. Um, they moved from being bureaucrats to diplomats. So yeah, it makes sense. Uh, let's see. They toil for the greater good. Yep. Yep. So gunship diplomacy is the first, uh, title, uh, paragraph. The greater good demands the tireless expansion of the Tau empire. It is not enough to wait for their, for the peoples of the galaxy to come in search of enlightenment. The Tau feel genuine compassion for these races. Uh, unfortunate enough to still toil in darkness and ignorance. They believe the message of the greater good must be brought to all, and every civilization ushered into the wonder of its light. So it is that they forge ever outwards toward uh, growing their empire's borders in a series of grand expansions, and expansions is capitalized, uh, and establishing new colonized systems, which they call SEPs. Each sept is named for its capital planet or sept world and can include a myriad of worlds, moons, void stations, orbital structures, and so on. So that's nice to get an actual definition of, of sept. Um, yeah, this is so far really, yeah, it's really tidy. Um, we've got colorized pictures of previous artwork. Um, if, if anybody remembers the, the image of the ethereal descending uh, over a world where there are a bunch of crude assembled. It's also the first artwork where it depicts a manta and an orca. Um, yeah, it's probably one of the better pieces of artwork uh, that I'm glad 
now is colorized. So that's cool. Um, and now we have a section dedicated uh, to alien auxiliaries. Much as the Tau believe their own part upon the galactic stage is only just beginning, so too is the ongoing war to spread the light of the greater good. This conflict becomes ever more sprawling. The demands for soldiers and war engines to fight in it grow ever greater. The warriors of the Firecast are many, but even still their numbers are stretched thin about the borders of their empire. Moreover, the town know their own strengths and weaknesses as well, accepting without ego that many aliens possess physical or mental abilities that allow them to serve the greater good in ways that the Tau themselves cannot. That's super interesting. That's really... Okay, cool. All right. Uh, it is for these reasons, amongst others, that the Tau make widespread use of alien species to supplement their armies, as well as many other arms of their civilization. Most ubiquitous among all, amongst all these alien auxiliaries are the mercenary Crute, and to a lesser extent, the insectile Vespid, each of which bring their own talents to support the Firecast. Yet these are but the tip of a considerable iceberg. There are the Nikasar, possessed of potent psychic abilities that Tau little, little understand. Oop. Oop. Hello? It's GW. Patrick's? They're here to take you out. I'm sorry. <laughs> That was kind of weird. The my screens just went just blacked out and huh, okay. Um, <laughs> move, move, it, man. Moving on. <laughs> uh yeah, uh let's see. So uh Nikasar, possessed of potent psychic abilities that Tao little understand and a mastery of void faring. So that's cool. Uh, again, first acknowledgement of the Nikasar. Uh the Anthrazods, who are put to work mining asteroids for the greater good. The Nagi, small, worm-like beings whose talent for mental compulsion has greatly aided more than one difficult water cast negotiation. Okay, well, there's, there's your first shot, right? Um, there's your first uh, indication of grim darkness. <laughs> um, the Vor, the Vorf, the Vorg, V-O-R-G-H, <clears throat> Vorf? What do you think, Retrix, Vorf? I would say Vorg. Vorg? The Vorg. Peaceful until roused, yet so massive and resilient that they can wrestle a super heavy combat walker and it's these prevail. Guys. Let's fucking go! It's the guys that wrestle knights! Buggers! I want to see these on the tabletop, baby. Let's go. That'd be that'd be pretty awesome. I'd really, really love to see something biological that can wrestle a knight. Um, cool. The Fosiab. P-H-O-S-I-A-B. Fosiab whose ability to view reality in nine dimensions and slipped through the void unharmed is a boon to Tau extraorbital construction. Even humans have been integrated into the Tau Empire, abandoning their oppressive imperial masters in favor of a new life in the light of the greater good. Known as Guevesa, to the Tau, such human auxiliaries grow in number with every passing Kairota. <laughs> And are as useful to their new allies as they are hated by those they have abandoned. That's nice. They threw, they threw the word for month in there. That's cool. I think, right, Kyrota? Kind uh, of, that's cycle. Is that a no? cycle. Kyrota is yeah, because Rota is day. Yeah. I'll All right. Check. Cool. So then we've got uh, then we've got basically what's been going on uh, recently. Um. And it seems that 
Okay. Well, I'll read this because it, it kind of it t- it touches on what's uh, what's recent, and then um, I'll stop for a second. Maybe we should, you know, we can t- chat a little bit. I see the first musket has uh, their hand raised. So, uh, yeah. Regrettably, from the Tao standpoint, many races reject these diplomatic advances. Such beings cannot be left to threaten the empire in their ignorance. The fire cask can now come to the fore. Uh, okay. So basically, what uh, what they've described is like first they try diplomacy, and then they send them the fire cask. Um, the Firecast now comes to the fore, readying invasion plans that will most swiftly see the ingrates pacified. When the Tau attack, they come suddenly from the firmament with overwhelming speed and firepower, seeking to prove to their enemies the hopelessness of standing against an, an empire unified by the greater good. So is the lesson of acquiescence taught through force. Yet even in victory, the Tau are not cruel. They seek to preserve what they can of both the enemy's world and the enemy themselves, for both will be valuable assets to the empire once conquered. As the ethereals say, it is not the fault of those who are blind that cannot see yet. Forced integration and re-education follows, even as the Earthcast set to work healing the planet's battle scars and resettling it as the Empire's latest outpost of enlightenment and culture. So have the Tau pushed back the darkness beyond their boundaries for many centuries. So now do they continue in the tumult of darkness following the opening of the Great Rift, known to the Tau as the Montyahiva. Hmm. Montyahiva. That's a new one. No, How's I've seen this. Yeah. M-O-N-T, which means terror or darkness or, you know, basically... Oh, devourer uh, it, uh, hope. It's a cicatrix, a maledictum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Yehiva. Yehiva, I mean, va means great and denotes greatness So or, or large. So, yeah, devourer of hope. I would, I would assume that, like, again, the Tao language is, is one of those really cool things where it, it's, uh, it's cultural and referential. And so... Um, a direct translation is probably not possible, but I guess he might be might be devourer um, because it, it it looks very much like the original word for tyranids, which is yehi um, from one many uh, ye being one and he being many. So anyway, okay, cool. So um, there are more worlds and species lost to darkness and terror than ever before. These the Tao will rescue no matter the cost and will bring them into the glorious light of their burgeoning empire. Okay, cool. So, um, all right. So they're just really hammering home the fact that the Tao use military to uh, force people into acquiescence. I am always going to say, just give us, and maybe this book will do it, but just give us one example of a alien race that was like, like conquered, like fully conquered. Like the Nikasar uh, made a peace treaty. The Krut joined willingly after a 12-year conflict. The Demir were given safe harbor and are not technically members of the empire. Uh, uh, you've got, you know, you've got the Vespid who joined uh, extremely fast. Um, it, like, I, I get, other than human worlds, um, which I don't consider humans worthy of being able to like use diplomacy as much anymore because humans in Warhammer 40,000 are pretty nefarious and, and commit genocide quite frequently against the Tau after joining them. We do I don't know. What... <laughs> well, like, you know, you have on Kronos, for example, like everybody always wants to bring up Kronos, like, oh, they sterilize the human population. And if they didn't sterilize them, they divided the population into two. Um, but between the genders, and then they started basically, you know, pulling the vast number of humans away from the planet. But that was only after the humans uh, genocided the Tau. Obviously, this is not the canonical ending of Dawn of War. Uh, I think the Space Marines win. Yep. Um, yeah, but Dracula. but the Tau. Yeah, yeah. but the Tau um, in, in the speculative victory. Um, 
if you look through the very extensive lore of that game, you see that 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 the humans, the moment that the Imperial Guard showed up, they basically like, yeah, they genocided the Tau that were living amongst them. So again, like I don't think of the amongst. of humanity. I just don't. Yeah, amongst, amongst amongst is cool. Um, but uh, but I don't think of the. I don't think the. That humanity really has a leg to stand on anymore, especially after two crusades and committing exterminatus. But maybe that's just me. All right. Uh, oh, cool. Turning the page, we've got a brand new. Oh, you know what? Does anybody? Yeah, Bresk. Uh, let's uh, let's stop for a second because it looks like we have a brand new map, which shows ooh everything. Okay. So, um, Bresk, if you want to come up. Yes, uh, and the first musket. Uh, if you if you want, I can uh, I can bring you up. But what's up, Fresk? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. You. I can't hear you. Oh, uh, okay. You know. Um, anyway, basically, I I want to say that I'm really excited for this because it seems like it's doing well overall. Uh, there's not too much grim dark going on that's kind of ruining it. It's just kind of sticking to the old stuff that's actually useful. But yep. I do want to say. If there's any bad lore that you, you just read out and it's horrible, break it to me gently. <laughs> I will. I will. I, I'll. I'll. will stop and give and give you a moment to catch your breath. <laughs> the crest, the rest of the shaper is not going to be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we can. I, I think that there is going to be a moment where I I, I I myself might break out a drink, and so I'll invite everybody to clink yeah. glasses as I start to uh, just cry. So cool, Bresk. I'll I'll uh, I'll right. let you know. Uh, and uh, the first musket, if you want to come up. Oh, cool. What's uh, up, musket? So I wanted to say, like, compared to, you know, the, the leaks and the Reddit post and stuff that we're talking about um, what was in the codex so far, it, it definitely seems like a very negative outlook on the gunship diplomacy <laughs> set of paragraphs. But um, with like my own codex in front of me as well, and reading through it, Ooh. like it's really nice about how the Tau go about with the gunship diplomacy. Like it, it I enjoy how it um, showcases just how compassionate they are to enemies, even. Um, right, right. I, just, I hope you're as excited as i am about the fact that it seems much better than leaks had me believing originally yeah, yeah i i mean we had somebody um on uh in in the discord that that kind of like you know brought brought forth this like oh you know they they totally made the tau evil and we're only on page nine and i know we have yeah. maybe a long a long read through session again it's super cool that you've got it as well but I do really appreciate the fact that they go about and say i mean they specifically point out and I'll read it again. Yet even in victory, the tower not cruel. Like just that sentence right there, like that almost, like that gives me such hope, you know, because I do want the tower. I, 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 look, I'm I'm the first person to admit I like the concept of Tau being being uh, better guys, maybe not good guys, but but better guys. And obviously they are. Uh, they have the hubris of wanting to you know forcibly change the galaxy the way that you know, from what it is but the galaxy is also like it's warhammer forty thousand. like genocide is a tuesday and like planetary destruction is thursday followed by trans-dimensional like possession of children's bodies to turn them into like you know walking portals for the incarnation of nightmares you know like it's the galaxy is in a place that it probably it's a worthy cause to want to forcibly change people from what they're doing so um 
but anyway <laughs> yeah definitely um yeah you mentioned your favorite part there um i'll just go ahead and mention mine real fast um sure sure just the fact that they straight up say these the tau will rescue no matter the cost and will bring them into the glorious light of their burgeoning empire love that part mm -hmm. thank you for calling me up here i'll bounce yeah. now yeah no no worries no worries yeah look, and, and again it's a free flow conversation uh i think it's really awesome just to all be here together uh in the excitement um and uh and <laughs> And, and and probably you know this is a nice quiet before the storm before the imperial uh, players that are in our hobby uh, absolutely tear uh, tear everything down come come Monday. Uh, I'm wait I'm waiting for everybody to just keep on repeating uh, you know burgeoning empire and all, all all of the negative commentaries Nagi mind flipping people. So anyway, um, moving on, um, we've got uh, page ten. Uh, an ever-growing realm. So as each new sphere of expansion has pressed outwards into the darkness, so the boundaries of the Tao Empire have stretched wider, and that which was once veiled in shadow has been illuminated by the radiance of the Tao Va. Yet always the unknown and the unenlightened call out to the Tao, drawing them ever further into the shadows beyond. So there's a real, I mean, I don't know who wrote this, but I, I, I would suspect, if, if just based on the the poetry of uh, of the language being used, I would think it's it's possibly John French, who's uh, one of the Horace Heresy writers. He's a really he's a really uh, he's really good at descriptions. Um, but I like how there's this theme of like the Tao consider themselves the light of enlightenment, and they are going out into the dark. I, I like that. Um, we have the map here. Um, unfortunately, the map is split between two different pages. So I actually can't see <laughs> the, some stuff uh, without, I'm not going to, I'm not going to break the book yet. Um, but okay. So we've got, we've got everything. Um, everything is a lot more clear. Um, there are, okay. So this is what I, I really appreciate that they've kept. So first and foremost, it is the original map. Um, it is uh, in a relief. That's very two dimensional. Um, uh, there are a lot more uh, planets, uh, many of them unnamed, um, that uh, that provide probably an opportunity for people to say like, oh, well, I'm from there. But these planets are within territories beyond a single solar system. Um, and again, strengthens this idea that the Tau, from the original, uh, from the original, uh, sorry, sources um, such as Forge World, that the Tau inhabit a, a stellar cluster that's about 300 light years in diameter um, and that there are it, it's it's a it's a stellar cluster so that there are uh, you know potentially hundreds of star systems inside of this place um, and uh, and I like that because it, it's it, it would it would really stink if if like you know Tau for example was only one solar system it's, it, it's very obvious as you're looking at the map that there are uh, are multiple places here and I'm very happy to say that they've kept Let's call it the unincorporated regions, um, such as the territory south of Dalith that does not have any name connected to it and has long been a place of like fan fiction writers uh, like myself or, uh, I mean, I guess Chicken, is, uh, who, who's a member on the, the Discord, um, you know, we have put lots of narratives in these spaces uh, that don't have any uh, noticeable uh, sept ownership, but have a clear border, and that that goes all the way back to you know two thousand one. Um, okay, cool. So we have the Damocles Gulf, 
And the Damocles Gulf is kind of a little bit smaller, um, at least in this depiction. Um, what's interesting is that they do not have Mughalath Bay, um, which is a little bit disturbing. Uh, at least I can't find it. So it doesn't look like Mughalath Bay is here. Because I thought I saw that in that sector picture they have. Yeah, yeah, they do not have they do not have Mughalath Bay on the map, but they do have the Western Veil vale Nebula, which is super important for people that like Second Sphere lore. Um, they have moved Arthas, Arthas Malak so that it's closer to the. Oh wait, nope. There's Mughalath Bay. Very interesting. Mughalath Bay does not have a sept symbol, and they have they have moved the geography of where Mughalath Bay is. So that it, and thank God they did it because now it's right next to Furios. Um, now, why is that important? Um, because in the Farsight, I believe, nope, nope, it was the Mont or the Kaon book. Uh, in Kaon, they 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 describe uh, Mughalath Bay being south of the Farsight enclaves, and quite frankly, that just doesn't make any sense because that's slap in the middle of the Damocles Gulf, and and just wouldn't make any sense. Um, also, the travel times. Anyway, is for people that are hardcore into lore, like it just was always it's like somebody poking you in the eye. Um, the fact that they put it down there, but okay, so they've moved it. It is now adjacent to Firios and Kissimien. Um, Kissimien is slightly shifted over so that Dalith makes room. Um, interesting that they do not have the Pertus Rift listed, which is where Peck is supposed to be. Same number of Crute uh, worlds. Um, and the crew worlds are all in that region. It's it's weird. It's just a big black splotch. There's, I don't know why they didn't just call it what it is. You've got the zone of silence, um, and then you've got. Okay, so what's kind of interesting is that this map it's really faded out, um, but in the background you can see. So so basically the Tau have these. Uh, solar system. What I'm assuming are solar systems, and then they have travel, just like we have in in most uh, sci-fi. You know, you have a star system, and then you have some kind of warp conduit or or, or a line that connects it to another star system. Um, you actually have the in the background on these two pages. You have dozens and dozens of star systems that are connected to the actual image of the Tau map, but fade into into the dark and do not have planet names. So that's kind of cool. Um, that's kind of interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, just to name a couple planets, they've kept Shah Galud uh, for copyright reasons, I guess. Uh, right. But isn't, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that what you call a, a dune worm, Redrix? Do, do you know? Is, is that Shai, Shai Galud? Shai Halud. So Shah. Oh, you don't do dune? You don't do dune? I, no, oh, I, I do do, it's, it's Shai Halud, but Shy Halud. Okay. Well, he waited a you didn't resist that. Yeah, come on. Dark Frost spelled it wrong. I would like to. It's spelled that way, Dark Frost. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got Shagalud. It's in Sakia Sep. That's the Nagi homeworld. You've got Dianoi, which. Our worms are tiny. Um, okay, uh, they've kept landfall on the map, which is great. Um, they uh, Vespid is uh, in Deyanoi. Islas, oh, maybe Islasu hmm. is in Falshia. Um, they've kept the Greelock asteroid fields, Gurgit's Mech World, the, that weird like orc area. But it doesn't look like they have the 
uh, the you know those sun flares that were in the last codex where it Damn. said that the tower might. <laughs> Yeah, it looks looks like they got rid of those. Yeah, those um, are kind of kind of dumb. Oops, we blew up the store. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it goes directly to um, it, it kind of goes directly to contradictory to original Talor, which one of the things that they are terrified about is the idea that one of their stars will go nova and just wipe out their whole species because they're in a tightly tightly packed stellar cluster. But here's some new stuff. Um, we've got the Star Tide Nexus and uh, uh, a nice little red line which connects it to the Fifth Sphere expansion. So in the Fifth Sphere, and I don't see why it wouldn't... Okay, so this is, again, very interesting. The Fifth Sphere expansion is about half the size of the rest of the Tau Commonwealth combined. And it's pretty densely packed. You've got Yovai, Quartal, and Fasan. Uh, you have a lot of fortress stations. You have orbital cities everywhere. You've got a lot of mining fleets. Yeah, I would say pretty confidently that the Fifth Sphere expansion is... Beefy. Yeah, it, uh, yeah and, and, and it's about half the size of the Tau Empire. So, um, yeah, uh, there's... the. Uh, First musket, if you want to uh, come up, uh, I've invited you. Um, to, uh, acknowledging your your hand wave. Um, yeah, and there's uh, there's basically, I mean, there's a small description. We've got the the lights of countless void craft stream through the darkness between the worlds, moons, and space stations of the empire. Some are uh, <laughs> hypo civilian transports, uh, diploma, uh, diplomatic missions, or vessels built for science and trade. Some are the craft of alien allies who have joined the Tau Empire and the and and kind of so on and so on and so forth. I don't think there's anything really. Oh, this is new. Then there are the spaceborne installations themselves. The Tau Empire boasts a tremendous number of void platforms built for a wide variety of pur wide ar array, excuse me, of purposes. Some are fortified naval docks and watch stations. Their sensors ever alert for peril and their garrisons ready to respond. Others are centers for industrial manufacture and zero gravity, for scientific endeavor and for deep sea mining of everything from captured asteroids to anomalous energy sources. Every day all across the bustling empire. Yeah, and so on and so forth. But that's kind of cool. Uh, it, hmm, that's kind of cool. Um, uh, go, sorry, uh, go for it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to turn the page, but uh, first musket. Uh, I can't can't hear you if you're talking. Okay, uh, Commander Darkfrost, uh, you're. Uh, did you have some? Yeah. Um, so I, I know there's a lot of uh, controversy surrounding the uh, Fourth Sphere expansion um, and the mm -hmm. uh, wormhole uh, that uh, uh, I guess breaks out into additional part of space. But I, I'm not gonna lie. I I'm almost happy that they kept this wormhole the star tide nexus mm -hmm. um and i i really do think it would be interesting if uh gw were to go in the direction of having tau uh intentionally create more of these and that is how they access other parts of um uh of the galaxy i guess uh yeah since absolutely. they don't necessarily have a, a warp travel it sounds like, at least. Well, yeah, I, and that's that's really the million dollar question right now. What are they going to do with warp travel? Um, you know, uh, how are they going to address it? Because it is uh, uh, it is it is one of those things that currently doesn't make any sense uh, for 40k. Uh, First musket, you're back. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me now? 
Yes, yes, we can. Okay, so um, you were mentioning like not being able to see some of the things that were really close to the center, um, just due to not wanting to like damage the book. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. However, looking there, like there wasn't anything of note except there's just a random crew world hmm. right above the zone of silence, connected to like Autal. Oh um, wow, you're right. You're totally right. Oh, it's in the spine of the book. Yeah, just random crew world there. I'm not sure if that's important or anything. Um, but I figured I would point that out since that's the one thing that kind of stood out a little bit, other than just some fortress stations. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Now, now I'm like trying to creep through the the spine of the book. Um, but yeah, I wonder if that's hmm. There are a couple uh, crew planets named uh, one like Craft, for example, um, and I think that there is there's Peck, obviously. Um, there's a couple. I wonder, I wonder if I can find that in another map uh, or in another reference. But that's cool. That's cool. Good, good, good eye. And um, in the descriptions, they do mention the Pertus Rift again. They just didn't put it on the map for some reason. Um, okay, cool. So let's uh, let's turn the page. All right, uh, we've got a breakdown of what the cast system is. Got the fire cast. Um, okay, so I'm just going to buzz through this because I've heard a couple things. So, through the years, the fire cast's desirable traits of strength and physical size have continued to increase, and any weak strains are quickly, quickly weeded out. They are guided by the enduring creed known as the Code of Fire, which stresses, stresses martial arts, loyalty, and merciless war tempered by wisdom. Martial arts. <laughs> The Fire Warriors spend their entire lives either in battle or preparing for it, for it, constantly honing their tactics and relentlessly working to improve their combat skills. Okay, so let's let's just address that super quick. The idea that they we quickly weed out any weak strains. I mean, okay, there's your second shot, right? The the idea that okay, um, potentially there's there's some euthanasia going on uh, for uh, for Tau babies. I'm. I feel like okay. The tower be able to just because they're they already control like who who's 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 fucking who, uh, they would just be like you don't you don't get no coochie for you man, <laughs> like, sure that I think sure. that's your weeding it out. Yeah, I don't think that they're like Spartan style, like dragging kids up to the top of a cliff and you what know are, throwing them what over are they, space wolves. Yeah, right. Like, I don't think that that's going on. Of course, you know, but there's your second shot. There's your there's your foreshadowing of uh, baby killing. Uh, we've got the Earthcast. The Earthcast comprises artisans, engineers, laborers for the Tau. Uh, it is by far the most populous of the casts. It is uh, they who construct machines, raise colonies and cities, and provide food for the rest of the Empire. Without the Earthcast, the farms would not produce... And the factories would not would stand idle. Um, the menial levies of the Earthcast are sturdy laborers who toil ceaselessly. Its foremost minds, by comparison, become engineers and scientists, inventors beyond compare. It is they who fashion the sophisticated technologies and forward-leaping innovations that are so prevalent throughout every level of Tau society and who ensure the Firecast have the weapons they need to fight their wars. Cool. We've got a new piece of artwork of a uh, watercast envoy, or, or, or I guess just functionary. Um, I'm just going to bring it up right now. The the why uh, this is uh, so all of the artwork seems to be from the same artist, which I'd love to try to figure out who it is. Um, but the the why that that represents the female uh, versus male uh, signifier is extremely small. Like it's 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 very subtle. It's not it's not like uh, it's not like shadow suns. 
Um, Wake of Ash, you had mentioned that you wanted uh, artwork, so uh, I'll just acknowledge your hand. What's up? Hey, yeah, that's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that there's uh, some representation of the water cast because I don't know. I feel like that's one of the more compelling ones. Absolutely, uh, literally compelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, in in, uh, in other episodes, I've I've brought up the fact that the water cast is probably the most effective of the of the casts in terms of like actually expanding the 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 the, the Commonwealth. Um, mm. They they are responsible for almost all well every almost every single ra- major race. Um, like like for example, the water cast are also explorers uh, at least in old lore, um, and it was the water cast that found the crude, um and basically uh, orchestrated the the relationship and the fact that the fire cast w- would dedicate I mean, literally a twelve year campaign to defend the crude. Um, and that was as a result of the water cast. You've also, I mean, in, and in the third sphere lore, uh, the the vast majority of of worlds are taken without a shot, and that's a result of the the water cast. And it seems like the same thing is happening in the Chalnath Expanse. So I'm a hundred. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Wink of Ash. Um, I just wanted to touch on one thing before we moved on. I always sure. kind of envisioned uh, the Tau sort of. Um, what is it like eugenic system to kind of be like Gattaca? You ever see Gattaca? Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see that happening. Um, you, I think it makes. Oh, you're gone. Um, well, yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's a, it's a it's it's pro- it, the way that it's described in the book uh, by Spurrier, uh, Fire Warrior, uh, is very much like it seems like uh, there are just pairings. You know, you get you're kind of in a lottery. Um, and then other uh, other authors have described uh, the opportunities of actual relationships. So, like uh, Shadow Sun and her two bio- or yeah, her two biological sisters uh, were all raised by their by their father, and her mother uh, died. They never explain uh, what happened to her mother. Um, but then there's also um, the Earth cast is described as having pair bondings, and 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 that and that they raised uh, a daughter um, before Fabius Bile like comes to the colony and just like wipes everybody out. Um, so yeah, so like there are, there are a lot of, I think there's a lot of variety in terms of, of how people get together, but I would agree with you, Wake of Ash. I would say, I would think that it, and what Redricks was saying, like, if you have a genetic problem, like if you're prone to, uh, some kind of genetic, uh, uh, variance, commander, (laughs) uh, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, you're not going to be, you're, you're probably not going to be allowed to continue. However, I always want to remind, at least, <laughs> at least in Black Library, the Tau are supposed to be an extremely dynamic uh, species that adapt to change. Uh, they are not draconian in the way that, like, uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus is or the Imperium is. In the Black Library books that that I have fallen in love with, um, it's very much a, a society that understands the importance of variance. And so I do think that there are a lot of opportunities for like a eugenics program to recognize that, okay, yeah, like this, this guy might, you know, be born without a hand or something like that. But then that he, but, but the brain of, of a, of a living being is going to compensate, you know, uh, and it's going to, it's going to expand other parts of the brain to be good at something else. So I don't think, I, again, I just don't think that we have a, uh, a Spartan baby killing program. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got Theo Yui, Tashlor. 
Uh, Tash Lore, come on up. Um, hi. Good morning. I just woke up uh, doing this, so good timing. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about that whole pragmatism thing, and I also, I mean, I, I remember you right before that bringing up whole how how Shadow Sun and her sister were raised by her father, and how some Tao of parabombing. And that kind of made me think like, uh, we have had a lot of discussion before on how, uh, you know, do Tao do one on one coupling? Do they only mm -hmm. rate? Etc. Um, oh, okay. Okay. I, I, oh, is this going to lead into skill talker? No, it's not going to lead into skill talker because he is dead, sadly. But um, <laughs> so what if that inconsistency, like it's probably just bad writing on GW's parts. You know, they're not geniuses, but like it could be an example of the Tau being pragmatic. You know, they do what works. If these two people can raise kids together properly and make very good warriors or something, then why stop them, right? Like, yeah, in no, current, that's... In sorry, current sorry. Day, <clears throat> in a current day, we struggle with um, accepting polyamorous relationships or something, and mm -hmm. so I can imagine that the Empire has the opposite problem, being like, why would you limit yourself to only one person? But, like, if it works, if you can provide for the Empire, and you're not going to sacrifice a planet for that one person, then go ahead. No problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I definitely, you know, this this topic came up, and uh, you know, I had I had like a boomer moment where um, I was talking to a couple members in our community and and saying how you know like a a, a bonding, for example, uh, there is no there is no like human equivalent of of a of a bond relationship. Like like the closest thing that they can we can translate uh, a telesiri is the concept of marriage, um, and. And I, I had a, I had a more rigid understanding of that, and then it was through talking with members in our community that I realized, like, oh, there's actually probably, you know. So I was saying how, like, once you enter into a, a bond relationship, you're pro you're shut down. That's it. You can only you can only be with those bonded. My wife uh, never lets me go into battle anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but like, uh, but like, but then it was brought up at the fact that like. Uh, Farsight, for example, was bonded with uh, Commander Brightsword, um, and then he was also bonded with Shadow Sun, who was not bonded with uh, Firesword. Uh, uh, and Firesword? is it Firesword? Oh, what's his no, name? No, the, you said Firesword. Wait, Nan Suam. I, I know his town name. Anyway, oh. uh, uh, or is it Brightsword? Bright? Is it Brightsword? Brightsword. Yeah, I think yeah. it's oh, Brightsword. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, it's Olnan. That's right. It's Olnan. So so again, like, and Brightsword was from Tashvar. Shadow Sun's from Tau. Like like bond relationships are something that are way more complicated. And I've actually had to reconsider like what it could be. And now I am definitely of the mind that like Tau can have multiple bond relationships with different species, with different uh, with different uh, Tau individuals. Um, and that is completely separate from their notion of like fili filial responsibility or or romantic uh, engagement. Like it, it is just totally alien. But but to but to respond to what you said, Tashlor, uh, yes, I I one hundred percent think that that whatever works works right. And 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 something to remember is that happiness is like a huge part of biology. Like happier people have more babies have 
have happier, have, have, have more, uh, more, uh, more bumper crops, have more buildings built, you know, like everything, when you have a happy society, uh, every aspect of it, uh, improves, you know? Um, so I, I don't think the Tao would limit themselves and tell people what they, you know, what they can and cannot do if they have come up with a way that works. That's, but that's, you know, I, I so I'm in agreement with you, uh, in short, Tash Lord. Right. Now back to the show. <laughs> so yeah, so we have a breakdown. Um, we have all four casts uh, that are not ethereals uh, uh, with uh, with artwork and everything. Um, just to just to uh, cement this new thing that came up uh, in in some of the leaks, the aircast. In ancient times, the Tau of the aircast were messengers, but they now fill the role of pilots and spaceship crews, transporting goods and warriors to where they are needed or pushing back the boundaries of known Tau space. The air cast, sometimes called the invisible cast, are the unseen force for they rarely, if ever, set foot upon planets. Most air cast tasks spend the majority of their lives in void transit or aboard space stations. Their bodies have evolved to their, to their new circumstances, no longer bearing wings as they once did. But instead, oh. exhibiting longer and lighter frames in response to their low gravity existence, hollow bones, can, uh, hollow bones allow the pilots of the air cast to withstand great acceleration, though they are conversely weak and ungainly on worlds with even a moderate gravity. In battle, the air casts rain death from the skies while crewing either attack fighters or bomber craft in support of the planet-bound planet fire warriors. So there, there it is. No, uh, they had wings. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, Straight up like, yep, wings. No more, though. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, yeah. Um, cool. So, and then, yeah, and the ethereals get their own page. Um, where where the casts uh, were were kind of like sharing one. Um, the ethereal cast stand apart from their. Everybody, get your shots ready. I guess uh, the ethereals stand apart from their people. They rule the Tao as a wise and patient adult white guide, spirited if occasionally wayward youths to realize their truest potential. Ah, okay. Sometimes serene and benevolent, other times hard and stern as stone. It is the ethereals who divine the needs of the greater good and who decree the ways of the Tau Empire, uh, the ways in which the Tau Empire may bring it about. Okay. I'm going to put my shot glass down. That's pretty, that's pretty, uh, I can get on board with that. Comparing rulers, you know, and again, a lot of the people leaking it, like said that the rulers were going to be uh, you know, they're, 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 they're draconian dictator. I mean, of course there's a lot of book left, but like to say that the ethereals rule as adult, as like a parent, I can get on board with that. That, that makes sense. Um, it also, uh, it also is contradictory to the depiction of the ethereals in certain books as of late. So yeah, cool, cool. Um, the Ethereals perform a unifying role within the Tau Empire. They take counsel from senior members of each caste, but ultimately all decisions are theirs to make and the responsibilities is theirs to bear. Ethereals must motivate, they, they must lead, encourage, or reign in the Tau of the other castes as needs dictate. They do all this with the absolute confidence of those who know they possess a monopoly upon the truth. Amongst their most important duties is their orchestration of pro yeah, here it is <laughs> their orchestration of propaganda that is beamed endlessly across the empire to spread hope and determination. It is small wonder that the Tau interstellar communication te technology has seen. Ooh, uh, sorry. Uh, it is it is small wonder that Tau interstellar communication technology has seen advancement every bit as meteoric as the 
as that of their voidcraft or military hardware. Okay. Uh, okay, so so one of the big uh, shortcomings of the first, second, and third sphere uh, canonically is the fact that the Tau don't possess faster than light communication. In the book Shadow Sun, Last of Kira's Line, the only people that have faster than light communication is Anva and Shadow Sun, and they are able to communicate via something called an Ansible, which is a faster than light communicator. But even that is like kind of unreal, has like static and everything. Um, it's really great to just see a paragraph like this because it nods to the idea that the Tau have improved upon communication technology, and that's that's super. That's really good. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So, oh, okay. And then I guess I'm just going to uh, read this paragraph because it uh, it hammers home another thing, which I, I also appreciate. No one, neither Tau nor alien observer, knows how the ethereals exert such unquestioned authority over their people. Great. Black and white, conclusive, no one knows. So, cool. Um... Going on, this is due to in this is due in part to the suicidal lengths Tau will go in defense of their ethereals. Rare indeed is the capture of these revered beings, for entire hunter cadres would rather go to their willing deaths than know the crushing shame of having allowed their assigned ethereal to be captured or slain. Lack of experimental subjects has not stopped Imperial biologians, bi biologians, biologians from speculating upon the mechanisms of ethereal rule, of course. Discarding, discarding as facile the suggestion that the Tau simply believe unswervingly in the, their Xenos creed, such magi have suggested everything from veiled psychic domination or pheromonal control to even more outlandish theories like, ma like, <laughs> like mass racial hypnosis or the deployment of invisible organic nanites. Okay, I, I really love that paragraph because what that is... That is directly poking fun of the extremism of the Magi, of uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus tech priests. Because, for example, um, Land, uh, back in 30K, had a monkey that he reconstructed from, like, the bones of, of, uh, of, of like, fossilized, cor or, or, I mean, I guess just corpses uh, from old Terra, and assumed that the tail of a monkey was actually a scorpion tail, because why else would you have a tail? And I just, see, the thing is, the Adeptus Mechanicus is, like, riven with these, like, the, the, the simple answer is, is never the answer. And so the fact that this appears in the description of the Ethereals, this is great. This is fantastic. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so whatever its method, the Ethereals' effect upon their people is very evident in battle. There, they evoke the elemental truths to inspire nigh supernatural feats of accuracy, courage, speed, and resilience. Their mere presence evokes something like zealotry in other Tau, and countless desperate defeats have been transformed into improbable victories thanks to the leadership of an ethereal. All right, and now they introduce the first ethere named ethereal, and I'm surprised because the guy's dead. Anva, the ethereal supreme. Anva is the oldest and highest ranking of the Ethereal Council. His voice is law across the entire Tau Empire. His hand is visible in many of his people's greatest achievements. Anva is revered almost as a living deity, and the mere rumor of his arrival is enough to double Earthcast production quotas, propel military conquests to their victorious conclusion, and trigger countless Kai Rota of somber yet jubilant ceremonies. I, I, 
Somebody really liked the word Kairototh. <laughs> um, they also misspelled it, but that's okay. Despite his, despite his irreplaceable value to the Empire, Anva is often seen upon the forefront of town military campaigns. Okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to move down um, because it just goes into uh, uh, just general descriptions of how, uh, of things we've seen before uh, the Sokoa system victory. Um, uh, yeah. So Anva has lived countless lifespans, even for an ethereal. Yet his people accept this as simply another facet of his legend. He is to them an icon of longevity, stability, and purpose whose mor mortality could never be countenanced. This is unfortunate as the true Anva is already dead, slain by an imperial assassin during the apocalyptic conclusion of the war beyond the Damocles Gulf. Knowing the cataclysmic impact his death would have upon Tau society, the ethereals have since employed solid light technology coupled with AI personality matrices to give the ethereal supremes a simulacra of life beyond death that has thus far fooled the worshipful masses. Of course, his honor guard may now never leave Anva's side and none may ever be permitted to touch him for the labyrinthian deception must never be revealed. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, it would be, it would have been nice to, uh, it would have been nice to move on from Anva, but I guess, you know, there's a miniature, so. Um, Can't have new yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's almost we, as old as I am. Holy fuck. When did that come out? 2001? Making me three times older than you. You are Maybe not even four. years old. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, right. I get the meme that Eldar models are like older than some kids, or like older than the kids of the guy, guys who play this game, but mm -hmm. they're making new ones. Yeah, I know. I know. Maybe. I mean, you look at Pi you look at you look at Piper's Patreon, and you wonder how she's like pumping out like a new a new model every month, you know. And you look at a anyway. All right, so the next character we've got is on she um, based. Yeah, pretty much everything that we know oh, about on she, like nothing new. Say, uh, fucking consort. Does it say if the honor guard or ethereals no it doesn't say um that'd be interesting maybe maybe later um but no they, it, it just says bodyguards um i know that there's some confusion because originally they were ethereals and then and then it was in the phil kelly book where they are uh fire warriors which always was kind of unusual but um yeah nothing new about on he's just called the aged wonder um, no mention of camera or anything. Um, okay, then, uh, so begins, like, kind of like the, the introduction of the... Oh. I thought the hitman got you there for a second. Uh, well, no, it's, it, it's really weird. I have no idea what this is, like, um, here, wait, I'm just gonna... I'm just a little bit worried that somebody's watching me. Um, anyway, uh, okay, so we've got the, uh, the fire cast. Um... Let's see. Okay, so the Firecast form the military mainstay of the Tau Empire. They are professional soldiers trained and equipped to, high, to the highest possible standard before being deployed to wherever their people need them most. The might of the Firecast maintains the ongoing momentum of the Tau colonial expansion and forms the final argument against those who would impede the advance of the greater good. Um, there's a lot of text here. I'm actually super... I'm really impressed by this book. Um, there's a lot... Of lore, I was told that there were like five pages of lore, 
And and I'd seen basically the same thing for the Thousand Suns book, like just very, very, very little. Um, but this is a lot. Um, I won't read all of it because otherwise we won't get any further. But like, uh, uh, yeah, it basically goes into a breakdown of every single uh, model that you can deploy. Um, so then we have uh, next page. Um, by the way, the artwork in the background is really cool. It's uh, it shows Tao with like glowing white eyes, just like very stylized in the background. It's really cool. A lot, lots of uh, lots of lens flare. Very J.J. Abrams. Um, uh, we've got a section dedicated to tactical philosophies. Ah, yeah, it looks like there's only Kaon and Montka, um, but they do say that it is the two most common. So that's you know that that leaves room for for the ones that have been mentioned like Ripika and uh, you know Runyon and uh, like all the all the all the Hesashi um, the, the ones that have been kind of like added over time. Uh, so Rinyan, well, Ripika, yeah, Rinyan's the one that I'm I, I'm going to be working on the the, the mode. Yeah, uh, Oreska, I think right. Uh, great strength, great strike. Yeah, yeah, it's developed by the commander of the same name. Uh, he, here's an interesting paragraph at the end of this, though. All Firecast Academies from the world of Tao itself to the far reaches of the Empire teach Pyrtide's work. The most promising students, perhaps only one in every generation, can still apprentice directly under the tutelage of Pyrtide himself. These elite disciples spend time with the old master thanks to the Earthcast's holographic programming technology, which provides an interactive artificial intelligence that thinks, responds, and contemplates. The ethereals tightly control access, but those few who meet their requirements join Pyrtide at his retreat atop Mount Kanji on Dalith Prime. Despite his efforts, few, if any, of Pyrtide's students have grasped the full scope of his balanced enlightenment. Yet names such as Osho, Oshova, Oshasera, and the much-feared Okais are associated with the old master's tutelage, and while none mastered, while none mastered true balance, each emerged as a savant of their chosen martial philosophy okay Okay. uh then we've got a societal ranks la ue vre l o okay well but nice that they kept l around um this is just a copy paste from uh from other codexes uh tau military organization yeah la rua kaui uh tlv cabal we've we've kind of all heard of this before um coalition chanel uh commands or uasho uh, which are the forces committed by each cast yep yeah we've we kind of seen all of these before um then we've got uh we've got uh, the next page is kind of dedicated to battle suits um hmm. just gonna do a quick buzz but everything's here you know xv885 um oh uh, XV25, let's see, XV95, that's the ghost keel, XV88, uh, XV104 is the riptide. Oh, that's interesting. Then there is the XV104 riptide, the terror of Damocles, the ultimate heavy battle suit. Okay, so the riptide, so, so that's cool. Yeah, the riptide is just, is the, is, is the largest battle suit design. Um, after all, the storm surge is not a battle suit; it is a ballistic suit. Um, a single shot spray, assisted by an integrated artificial intelligence, pilots 
this towering war engine and can move with a jet assisted mobility that belies the Riptide's intimidating size. Um, cool. And then classified developments. Until recently, the Ghost Kill battlesuit was restricted to covert missions. Its existence a secret to most of the Tau Empire, even though it had been in service for many years. Pilots were chosen from among pre-vetted stealth team Chasseray and transported to the secret facility at, oh, Jakovo Station on the fringes of the abandoned Sept of Nidras. From there, upon the orders of Anva himself, the first Ghost Kill battlesuits embarked upon numerous covert operations from the Vadenfall station sabotage to the assassination of Cardinal Bosch. Only when the hour was judged ripe were these remarkable suits revealed to the wider empire. The freshly renamed Ghosts of Nadras thrust into the limelight for the benefit of Tau Morale. Since that day, the suits have gained popularity among the fi- amongst the fire cast of every sept, while the canny are left to speculate with hushed excitement as to what other marks of deadly and as yet classified battlesuits the ethereals have to reveal. So this is just a conjunction, a uh, conjunction or whatever the fuck. I think when they do conjecture. the army of Re- yeah conjecture. When they do the Army of Renown, I think they might do a new suit. That could be really cool. I, I mean, it's for sure they're going to do Farsight Enclaves oh, yeah. as an Army of Renown. Yeah. Uh, next, we've just got Battlefield Support. This is... Uh, I, I read about this in the in the leaks. There is... Um, there's basically a breakdown of all the things that you can get. Um, uh, all the support systems you can get. Like there's a there's pictures of target locks and early uh, early warning overrides, shield generators, counterfire defense system. It's it's cool. It's it's nice to know what it is. And there is a breakdown of drones, um, all the different types. With the pictures of the support systems, do they actually look like the model pieces? Like are there actually yes. those? Oh, damn it! Damn it! I, oh, no! What's wrong? I gotta put those on my models now. Oh. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> uh, and then you've got... Um... Okay, so then you've got the drone section. Uh, nothing very much... These drones benefit from networking that increases their processing power when present in large numbers, and savior protocols that compel them to sacrifice themselves for the greater good in the place of their masters. Um, more unusual models range from the MV, yeah, and then so on and so forth. Uh, let's see. The Tau are always intrigued and more than a little disturbed when faced with mankind's deep-seated and abiding prejudice against such machine intelligences. To them, this attitude is but another example of the backwards barbaric superstition the Empire must strive, strive to overcome. Okay, so I've uh, I've lost a bet, but um, I am life affirmed. Uh, the savior pro- protocols compelling them to sacrifice themselves kind of shoots uh, shoots down a theory of mine that the drones themselves believe in the greater good. If you have something inside of you that compels you to commit suicide, you know, not not as a that's a shot. That's a shot. Um, oh, okay, all right. Um, moving on. Uh, I don't want to be too quick, but um, there are like. I think we should get to the sept stuff, which... Oh, there's not that much lore left. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so now we have a section dedicated to Osha Sarah. Uh, Commander Shadowsun, spearhead of the greater Mommy. good. Amongst <laughs> amongst the finest pupils of Commander Pyrtite, Osha Sarah is the foremost living proponent of Kayon within the Firecast, and among the Empire's most iconic war heroes, clad in her highly advanced XV-22 stalker battlesuit. Commander Shadow Sun employs her strategic genius to orchestrate vast and elaborate battle plans, all while engaging in destroying the enemy's most valuable target assets. Um, oh, wow. They just kick it off right. More than 400 years before the present day. Ooh, hold up. Oh. 
wait a minute. That might be here. Wait, sorry. Just a sec. Let me do the math. Seven fit. Can uh, Redricks? Can you look up really quick? I think I think the Damocles Gulf Crusade is Millennium Forty Seven Fifty. Crusade. Um, seven forty-two. Seven forty-two. Okay, so wait. So get this. Okay, so so seven forty-two, and then she goes into cryogenic freeze. She wakes up just before the third sphere, which which is about forty-one nine nine eighty something like that. So seven. So so seven forty. Uh, Let's do math. Eight fifty nine. It was in okay. So stasis for like two hundred years. Yeah, which means that this book was written potentially before the retcon. Oh before the, the shit! Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I think. I think right, right. Like the the math adds up. It, more than 400 years before the present day. Yeah, that, that's got to be pre-Redcon. And it and we're still 100... talks about the Death Guard in there too, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh... No, that's... Why are you saying good stuff? No. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> I don't like that you... No. I don't think it's very... <laughs> is it actually good? Okay, okay. Um, keep it, reading. It, it basically... Yeah, okay, keep reading. All right. So more than 400 years before the present day, the humble Shasla who would become Commander Shadow Sun was the prodigy of Firecast Academies. So exceptional was her performance that she was given the opportunity to study at the feet of the great master Commander Puretide. There she continued to, to excel despite being Puretide's youngest pupil. She outstripped all of her peers bar one, Commander Oshova. Oshasera and Oshova developed a deep and abiding rivalry that pushed both of them to ever greater feats of excellence in the name of the Tao Empire. There, that rivalry, rivalry carried over to the bloody campaign upon Delith Prime, where the two commanders between them bled the momentum from the Imperial Steamroller Offensive. It was Oshova's dynamic deeds that gained greatest recognition during the fight, yet none of his Montcaw tactics would have been possible had it not been for Shadowsun's meticulous Kaon strategies. In the wake of the conflict, Commander Farset was selected by Anva for the daring new mission beyond the Damocles Gulf. Shadow Sun, along with a number of Puretide's other living pupils, was sent into suspended animation in preparation for a time when the Empire would require new heroes. No doubt a restless and competitive being like Oshasser chafed at being consigned to the long sleep while her rival continued to win victory after victory in the Empire. So, okay, just, just, a, just a moment. Um, this kind of feels like, uh, and again, remember that it's possible that this book is written from the perspective of the Imperium uh, because of what's on the cover. Um, but this seems to kind of erode the idea that there was a relationship between the two, which I believe was was said in the last Codex. So interesting, right? Um Yet, the, uh, yet she showed her true dedication to the Tao Ba that day by accepting without question the decision of the Ethereals. Um, so it did during the Great War. Okay, so I'm just going to skip ahead again. Uh, they bring up the Great War of Confederation against the Orcs. Um, they misspelled Kuresh expansion, but that's there. Uh, Osha Sarah uh, herself hunted the Orc Warlord, cutting him down. Okay, cool. She was promoted to Supreme Commander. Um, Okay. 
Since that day, though she has been returned to stasis more than once, Commander Osha Sarah has remained the champion of the Empire. It was she who led the Third Sphere expansion to so many glorious victories and who ensured the establishment of SEPs that have endured beyond the Damocles Gulf ever since. Uh, let's see. So they bring up a Ghrelin and that she took a, a hive world in a single day. I've always does been a Does very... it confirm that it's a single day in that? Here, I'll read. I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll read directly. During that conflict, she led the assault that conquered the world of Agrellin in a single day, and it was Shadow Sun also who outmaneuvered and struck down Corvin Severax, the chapter master of the Raven Guard Space Marines. It was Shadow Sun too. Who, yeah, so it's just like black and white. Like, no need to, uh, no need to speculate anymore. I'm um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So she, and then, and then, and then it, it just goes into the fifth sphere. Hmm. Oh, okay, so this is what she's been doing in the Fifth Sphere. Following her victory on Astorgius, Commander Shadowsun turned her strategic genius to once again battling her oldest foes, the Orcs. Vast numbers of them have been drawn by the three-sided and anarchic campaign raging through the vast swaths of the Chalnuth Expanse. The Greenskin poured from the full non-nebula in ragtag invasion fleets. With the Thaxaril... Ryatov and Barrelier systems barely pacified, and conflict still raging on half a dozen other fronts, Osha Sarah was unwilling to allow this new menace to destabilize the precarious expansion of the Nemyar Atoll. Deploying her forces in a complex web of interlocking positions through the Vilas, Metsa, and Asoda systems, she has begun a military campaign with the Kayon philosophy at its heart at, on an intersystem scale. In this way, she plans to bleed dry the orcs' momentum and utterly crush them, the threat they pose to the Fifth Sphere expansion. Cool. All good. Um, yeah. Got, there's a little breakdown of her suit. Um, uh, I, I do think it's kind of a misstep uh, to just... Just I, you know, she's the only person that has a stalker battle suit at this point since it's been around for a while, and they don't explain why it has four arms. But who am I? But a humble fan. Um. Okay. So we've got our first uh, lore piece here. Um. I'll read it and then do a, a write up. Um. But it looks like Shasel Sakia Ume flanked her commander as he strode into the chamber of serene audience. Looking interesting. Okay, apparently I'm... you need to read this one. Like, read. Oh, it. do I? Apparently, oh. Musket's like. Okay. Trying cool. to keep it in their pants. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Shatsal Sakia Ume flanked her commander as he strode into the chamber of serene audience. She was one of four honor guards assigned to, to Venerable O Shasan and was the longest serving of them all, blooded, blooded on dozens of battlefields. Still, even she struggled with feelings of overwhelming awe in this moment. For her commander to be invited into the presence of the ethereal supreme conferred honored enough. To lead his bodyguard in that moment was almost more than she could take in. The dome they entered was not especially large or grand grandiose by the standards of Tau Prime. Formed from opaque crystal, it reached its apex barely a hundred feet above El Ume's head. A hunter cadre might have drawn up their ranks upon the rose-blush stone of its floor, but just barely. Water fell through spiraling air currents from halfway up either side of the dome, 
chuckling into a deep stone channel that cut across the middle of the dome's floor and divided it in two. Small flames dance along the channel's edges, held in beautifully carved ceramic bowls. Four low diases lined one edge of the channel, one for each of the fire cast, water cast, air cast, and earth cast, designated by the respective cast's symbol. As Oshasan took up his position upon the fire cast dais, he nodded respectfully to his counterparts occupying the earth and water dioceses. From amidst their own small gatherings of scientists and diplomats, they returned the gesture. On the other side of the channel rose a higher dais, behind which stood the room's only concession to grandeur. It was a statue, tall enough to loom over all that assembled. It depicted the great ethereal Anwe. Uh, that's oh. the predecessor for, for Anwa. Um, his arms outstretched as though in welcome or benediction, his face tilted toward the stars. For all its magnificence, the statue could not eclipse the being who occupied the dais before it, flanked by his own stern-faced honor guards. I am in the presence of Anva. She had to repeat the thought to herself in an attempt to make it real. I, El Ume, am in the presence of the ethereal supreme. He looked upon them with absolute serenity, managing somehow to appear both humble and effortlessly superior. El Ume strove to meet the unblinking gates, but she could not do so for long. Instead, her eyes skipped away to the shadowed alcoves and balconies around the dome's edge. She started, she started as she realized these were occupied by other ethereals, a dozen or more. Under normal, normal circumstances, one such serene being would have captured all of El Ume's attention. Here, Anva eclipsed them as a moon gliding before distant stars. A gentle hum intruded on El Ume's awarenesses. Hardwired combat instincts saw her set aside her wonder and search discreetly for the source of the sound. It came from the aircast dais. Concealed hollow lathes had thrummed to life, their beams flickering through one another as they constructed a heavily light hologram of the aircast representative. From her posture, she appeared to be to be to be stood firmly to be standing firmly to attention upon her dais with her willowy arms folded respectfully behind her back. Only the lazy drift of her topknot betrayed that she was actually aboard an orbiting Corvatra colony ship, in gravity more comfortable to her bones. Anva greeted his guests with raised hands, emulating the posture of the statue at his back. You come to me on this day in service to the Tauva. Many of you have traveled far. All are worthy and all are welcome. You honor me. His words ran through El Ume like an electrical current. She had never in her wildest dreams imagined being addressed so by the ethereal supreme of the entire Tao empire. She felt in that moment as though she could step out into the stars with just a pulse rifle in Anva's words, and she would conquer them all for him. Nor was she alone. El Ume felt the frisson that passed through the delegations of the fire, earth, water, and air casts. Tao stood straighter. Their eyes gleamed. I have summoned you here as representatives of your castes, for I require your collective wisdom, Anva continued. Rest assured, the full council will meet in due time, and that in answering my summons today, you do not dishonor to those caste representatives who attend the ethereal council. Yet each of you here is a renowned hero of your own caste, one who has walked the roads between the stars and seen firsthand the darkness that still churns beyond our borders. Shaso Shasan, Theo O Duros, Kor O Lei, Por O Muleth, you each possess experience. You have encountered the strange aliens that have bedeviled our efforts since the Montyafa appeared, or else have seen with your own eyes the effects of the madness that has spread amongst our alien allies. You can enlighten me. This is vital, for in this hour, our empire stands at a crossroads of destiny. 
Thanks to the heroic sacrifices of the fourth and fifth sphere fleets, we now know that our despair at the failure of the slipstream module was misplaced. We have learned that, in truth, this device grants us a greater reach than ever before to spread the light of the Tao Va. This caused a traitor's flicker of doubt in El Ume's mind. There had been rumors of disaster and of some shared trauma about which the fourth sphere survivors would not speak. Yet under Anva's serene stare, such thoughts seemed cynical and unworthy. She burned with shame even to have thought such things. Her discomfort was not helped when Anva's next word words made her feel as though he had sensed her instant of disloyalty. We know that to reach beyond the confines of our realm, to step forth into the darkness of the wider galaxy, that these things are not without risk. No endeavor worth the trying ever was. As a people, had we shied away from the dangerous and the unknown, then perhaps we would still languish upon but a single planet to this day, if we existed at all. From anyone else, such an allusion to the Montauk would have been a ghastly breach of social etiquette. From Anva, it was a stern admonition against hesitancy and cowardice. Elume found the fires of determination burning within her. She would not shame the memory of her forebears through such failings. We all know our duty, said Anva, his gaze passing slowly across them. We all know our destiny. Countless brave citizens of our empire toil out there amongst the stars even now. They fight and strive to bring the Taoba to all who are worthy and deserving of its light. That is their part to play, and it is crucial. On this day, though, ours is every bit as vital. Upon us, my guests, lies the burden of choice. El Ume stiffened at this. She felt the sudden nearness of history, the weight of it bearing down upon her and upon all those others who waited with bated breath for Anva's next words. With every world, every people who join us in unity, our empire becomes stronger. Still, while our courage and belief are boundless, our resources and our numbers remain finite. I must choose, soon, where to direct those resources, for they cannot fight on all fronts at once. I and the High Council must determine, do we throw the weight of our empire behind the Nemyar Atoll and the conquest of all those star systems and the expanse beyond? Or do we exercise our newfound reach to once again push beyond what the Gwela call the Damocles Gulf, to reclaim the seps that were lost and drive deeper than ever into the Western Galactic reaches? Understand, my guests, this is not some mere dream. Fiovre Kabuto and his scientists assure me that the modifications they have made to their original designs render the slipstream module safer and more stable than ever before when deployed en masse. With such a device at our disposal, the stars are closer than ever, and our duty to reach them clearer. Okay. El Ume couldn't believe <laughs> El Ume couldn't believe what she was hearing. The sixth sphere expanse, expansion, she thought, lightheaded with amazement. The Ethereal Supreme is considering the commencement of a sixth sphere expansion, and he is asking for my commander's thoughts on where it should occur. Such a thing was unheard of. The battles of the Fifth Sphere expansion still raged beyond the zone of silence. Osha Sarah herself led the push to colonize new worlds and raise new seps beyond the fabled wormhole. Elume was hardly in possession of all the data, yet she had, to, had the impression that the Empire had expended vast resources already on gathering and launching that fleet. To think that it could muster a sixth expansion even while the Fifth was still underway, had the scope and scale of Tau space truly grown so vast? Perhaps it is the Mont Yava, she thought suddenly. Perhaps the Ethereals understand what has happened and how to stop it. 
The thought was frightening, but also exhilarating. How better to grasp the destiny of galactic unification and enlightenment than to end the terrible phenomenon that, oh my God, okay, sorry, than to end the terrible phenomenon that seemed to be driving so many alien races to madness and in doing so become their saviors, unless. Angry at herself, Ulme, uh, excuse me, El Ume discarded her sudden doubts. The ethereals were wisdom personified and Anva greatest of them all. They knew best and they feared nothing. I see your questions, said Anva, and once El Ume felt reassured, I understand and welcome them. Come, my guests. Now it is your time to speak, deliver your reports, offer your ideas. Together, let us deliberate. Together, let us forge our hopes anew. Well, shoot. That's... Holy that. <laughs> Come, my guests. I'm gone. That's a that's a great slam dunk. That's wow. that's really that's really good. Okay. So I, I you know, I'm not mad they kept on Vara. Yeah. I mean the fact that he's an AI is great. Um But see, you know, what's interesting is that that's that is the language and that's the that's the that's the voice of 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 the original Anva. That's not the like kind of the petulant child that we see in um, in Empire of Lies, you know, making people like commit suicide for like making him uncomfortable, you know, like yeah. it's yeah. This is okay, okay. <laughs> like, I don't get what else. Okay, and also he he talked about going beyond the Damocles Gulf to reclaim those seps. That's that's the enclaves. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Uh, like hold up <laughs> hold up <laughs> i mean it's it's inter- it's it's interesting um okay uh, i know we we don't have i've been reading a lot so uh, i'll go back to a little bit more cursory um uh but i think we should you know we should talk about what this could mean um it goes into an explanation now of the spheres of expansion um the first sphere and how it basically ran out of gas um, after the first eight steps were formed, um, the uh, let's see, yeah, basically they just they they they, they kind of just ran out of bodies, um, and then the second sphere expansion. Um, let's see, they do bring up the the ZFR Horizon Accelerator Engine. I've always hated this thing since there is no letter Z in the Tau uh, language, but whatever. Um, so. We have, yeah, basically just, it's basically just a rundown of events. Uh, uh, High Fleet Gorgon, um, the third sphere expansion um, brings up, brings up uh, the, uh, the Koresh expansions, uh, the Vehara Dawn World, uh, Dawn World attacks, things like that. These are, these are all things that you can see in other, uh, other codexes. I'll go over it with a fine-tooth comb and see if there's anything new and post them. Uh, it brings up how Anva was slain by an assassin. Um, it does have a, a section dedicated to the fate of the fourth sphere. Um, but I think... Yeah, it doesn't look like... It doesn't, it doesn't say what happened. It just says that they believe that the Tau were lost. Uh, and then... And then and then at some point was found again. Um, it, the only, the only uh, indicate there are no dates in this book, just like there are no dates in any of the new codexes. Uh, it looks like they're going away from that. 
Um, and and here we go. Here are the two uh, moving into Warzone Chelmath, which is uh, which is the, f- the fifth sphere and the most recent uh, combat. We do have the artwork that's been uh, that's been uh, shared. Uh, we have a guy getting into. Actually, it looks like a female getting into an XV-25. We have a Riptide in that, like, Gundam hangar thing that's going on. Uh, Very cool. You can can see it. It, It's been shared before. Um, Warzone Chalnath, pretty much uh, on cursory review, it seems like it's... uh, It it mentions the Death Guard. Um, But it just says that they... They disappeared. I, I I'm really intrigued that they would double down on this. The Death Guard just just vanish. Um, I think Retrix, it was you that mentioned that they probably were on their way to attack uh, Gilliman, uh, Gilliman and the uh, and uh, the Realm of Ultramar. I think that makes the most sense. I think that was, there was also something else. I was talking to someone a, a long like before they did the official retcon. Let me see what we thought. Okay. Yeah. Does explain it. So it was because the Necrons, the Saz, I don't know how to say it, but Sazhekian or whatever. Maybe we we were talking. Maybe the Seers were like, "Oh, oh, hold up, we don't want to fuck with the Necrons." Yeah. Hmm. That was another thing, but Sazarian. Okay. Hmm. That is how you phonetically said it, Love Jub. You could. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, who know? I mean, they're they're basically just keeping it a mystery. A mystery. The yeah. the uh, Death Guard show up. Uh, talks about uh, talks about a huge battle in the atoll. Um, and then they and then they disappear. Um. Well, they go and then the, a couple. Of, they go through the nexus, right? Yeah, they, they they but they they never come out on the other side. So, so who knows? Who knows? Um, no mention of the uh, god of the greater good, though. So, Whew. I can put I can put the I can put the revolver down. Um, okay. Is that mentioned so, in the codex, or was it a different book? I don't remember. Uh, I think it. No, you know what? I think it's just in Kelly stuff. I think it's just in uh, in the what is it the Dark Angel the War of War Secrets. Secrets. So we get okay. So all of the Seps get so the three major Seps Tau, Viorla, and Zakia each get a page dedicated to them. Um, it goes into it looks like it talks about them fighting Necrons, fighting Orcs, fighting the Imperium, obviously. Um. More orcs. They made it so, out, out elsewhere, rambling hominid. We just don't know where. Or when. Yeah. Or when, for that matter. Yeah. So Tau, Viorla, Sakia all get... Uh, here, I'll just... I'll, I'll read the opening paragraphs, but, but they do get a page. You know, they get a pretty chunky page. Tau Sept is the blazing beacon for the light of the greater good. It is the cradle of the Tau Empire and their greatest seat of culture and wisdom, not to mention a byword for military excellence. Phenomenally well defended, rich in history and infrastructure, it is to all other Septs as a Sept world, it is to its satellite planet, planets and moons. Viorla, the name Viorla can be translated into meaning hot-blooded. This is a certain, certainly fitting description for the Tau who hail from the Sept. It's 
Firecast enclaves are hugely populous, ensuring a swift and constant flow of naturally talented recruits to bolster Viola's armies. While the SEPS aircast has produced some of the finest atmospheric combat pilots in the Empire's history, Sakia, the still, the stilled storm. Oh, that's interesting. Oldest and wisest, the warrior sept. Sakia is the stilled storm. Sakia was not an easy sept to establish. It, its worlds are hot, lashed by ferocious natural phenomena, and the fire, fiery anger of their star. The Tau not only overcame these challenges, but they also established such numerous and prosperous dome cities that Sakia sept is now the most populous of all Tau-controlled systems. Which, you know, matches uh, old lore saying that it's the closest thing the Tau have to a hive uh, hive planet. Um, so Borkon, Forge of the Empire. Borkon is, sept, is a sept blessed in both material rich, riches and scientific ac- acad- uh, academia. The former flows to the sept world from the bountiful mineral mines of its sister planets. There it is put into service by the latter with Earthcast scientists employing their system's rich riches to fashion remarkable new, new technologies that benefit the entire Tau Empire. Dalith, the Blooded Sept. Oh, that's interesting. Dalith Sept bore the brunt of the Imperium's Damocles Crusade. Its Sept world was the stage upon which the conflict's last punishing battles played out and was terribly ravaged by their violence. For all this, Dalith is perhaps the best example of the Tau Va in action, for it has risen from the ashes thanks to the cooperation and indomitable t- determination. Hmm. Feels like the sentence was going to keep going. Um, oh, okay. Just a brief mention of Delith. There are some more races um, that get brought up. Um, so, hundreds of alien trade partners and allied races. Have, okay, that's great. Okay. Right here is an example of them differentiating between member species and associates. Um, so that's, I, I appreciate that. Hundreds of alien trading partners and allied races responded to Dalith's call for aid. While some of these beings sought to swindle the Tau from beneath a cloak of seeming magnanimity, others came out to genuine good feelings and charity. Through the tireless machinations of Dalith's watercast, altruists and swindlers alike ended up giving more than they intended, while somehow still leaving satisfied. So did reconstruction materials and willing labor crews flood Delith sept. Hundreds of thousands of Brachura, okay, those are the those are the miniature crab people, Thraxians, a new race, the Boa Buri, hulking Mohuja, and even mortified Guevessa toiled alongside the Tau, many becoming naturalized citizens of the worlds that they helped rebuild. Within a generation, Delith cities had arisen more formidable and bustling than ever. Great. All cool. All all awesome. Grab people. Grab. Don't do it. Don't do it. Grab people. Uh, then we got uh, Farsight Enclaves, also known as the Renegade Sept. So this is another example of how they're reinforcing the notion that a sept can be multiple star systems because the enclaves are at least in four major, uh, majorly uh, developed systems here. I'm going to invite you to speak. Uh, <clears throat> hey, hey, ta- hey Tashlor. Crab people. Uh, <laughs> yes, crab people. Okay, all right. All right. Uh, Farsight At the end of the Second Sphere expansion, Oshava, Oshova led a force across the Damocles Gulf. His mission to reclaim those Tau colony worlds lost to Imperial aggression. Initially, Commander Farsight's dynamic leadership saw world after world taken back from the humans who had been forced to turn their attention to other threats. Then came Arthas Malak and disaster. Um, yeah, nothing new. 
Oh, wait a minute. Okay, this, <laughs> okay, all right. The Tao Empire sent many desperate messages via their chain of communications beacons. Accelerator array arrays hurled their pleas and eventually their ultimatums deep into unknown space along the last known trail of, of Oshova. So this is after the Arthas Malak incident and they're bringing the mystery back. Um... After many years without reply, okay, that's directly contradictory to Empire of Lies, the expedition was deemed lost. The Tao Empire mourned the fall of one of its most illustrious, co illustrious commanders. It was not until years later that probes penetrated deep into the region where Oshova's forces had last been seen. The deep void AIs beamed back ominous reports. It appeared that Farsight yet lived and had established his own colonies on the far side of the Damocles Gulf. This mysterious, unprecedented, unprecedented, and unthinkable betrayal of the greater good haunts the Tao Empire to this day. The fact remains that the, and this is where it's interesting, the fact remains that the so-called Farsight enclaves continue to thrive. They are, in effect, their own extended sept that has declared independence from the Tao Empire. Their caste factions still aid one another according to the tenets of the Tao Va, and they have not slipped back into the barbarism of the Montauk. Yet they live without ethereal oversight and refuse any intrusion by the fifth caste. Oshova himself still rules, another unsettling mystery considering that his lifespan should have drawn to an end long ago. For all this, the most disturbing aspect of the Farsight enclaves from the point of view of the ethereal caste is the appearance among their forces of battlesuit and weapons technologies developed by the Empire after their departure. Perhaps this is due to spycraft or theft, yet the fear remains, what if, the, what if factions within the Loyal Steps are aiding the Enclaves? Okay, so why is this important? It's important because they've reinserted mystery back into what the Enclaves actually are, while reinforcing other aspects, which is that there is a division, which is great because that was something that was being eroded, especially in the, in the Enclave, or excuse me, in the Farsight books, in which it was just outright like, oh, the Ethereals have been hiding, you know, the existence of demons. And now it takes a step backwards to Farsight simply disappeared. And I love that because, man, well, I mean, let's see where it keeps going. Um, Oshova gets a whole page to himself. Um, let's see. Um, it uh, talks about him fighting... Hmm. The, so I'll just I'll, I'll buzz through this really quick. Um, the Ethereals would say that Oshova abandoned the Tau Empire, yet the commander himself would counter that they abandoned him first. That is right up with Andy Hoare's original version of Commander Farsight. As his forces pushed further beyond the Damocles Gulf, so supported from the Empire's heartlands dwindled. His was the last action of the Second Sphere expansion. An undertaking. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that's new. An undertaking that was that had exhausted the empire with its prosecution. When Commander Farsight diverted from his mission to do battle with a seemingly endless tide of orcs, yes, the Ethereal Council did indeed become disinclined to feed more of their dwindling reserves into what they saw as Oshova's self-absorbed crusade. Bucking vindication. Yes. <laughs> 
By the time of the events upon Arthas Malak, there were already there was already a rift between Commander Farsight and his former patrons. The loss of ethereal control during the strange and bloody conflict rendered the breach irre, irre, irreparable. This this is okay. This is old school Farsight. They've brought old school Farsight back. I am happier than a pig in shit. Okay. Um, Oshova chose his course partly through obstinate pride, but also for the sake of Tau and alien auxiliaries he led, and who he believed had been inexcusably betrayed. Yes! His wisdom as a leader saw them establish a string of well-defended and provisioned colony worlds far beyond the bounds of the Empire. Despite ongoing conflicts against the Orcs and other perilous foes, these farsight enclaves endure still. So, too, does Oshova himself, a fact that mystifies the now venerable commander as much as it does his foes. The Ethereal High Council believe that he has secured longevity through some technological process, or that a series of successors have taken up the mantle of Farsight. This is... That's huge. That's so huge. That's literally like third... That's like first codex shit. Like, right there. Oh... Okay, cool. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, it, it goes on to talk about the Dawnblade. Uh, nothing new here. Chronophagic alloys that steal the owner's remaining life. Um, uh, he's lived for several centuries. Uh, but if he ever found out, he would kill himself. Yeah, this is just, yeah, it, this is the pretty, pretty basic. Uh, literally third, like. Oh. Yeah. Um. And you know what? And you know what? Still no mention of Tau fighting Tau. And so, I mean, I guess we can keep going, but like, we just got past Farsight and no mention of Tau fighting Tau, which again is another slam dunk for my personal uh, opinions of the Tau and where they're going. Okay, uh, we move on to the crude. Um And I just want to say there is no new artwork just, uh, just for Wake of Ash. I am still keeping, keeping track of it. Um, yeah, no, no new, no new artwork. This is all like reprints and colorized versions of previous stuff. Um, so the Kroot... We'll just skip over that section. We'll just, we'll just no, 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 no. no. No, nobody, nobody here cares about the Kroot. <laughs> Vresk, Vresk, I, uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> ignore, ignore Redricks. Um, okay, so let's see. Okay, um... Looks like the mercenary kindreds. The Kroot are first and foremost a mercenary species. Their ethics are, in some ways, enormously divergent from those of the Tau. Yet somehow the two races have found more common ground than they have differences. Kroot live in kindreds, gathering somewhere between mercenary companies, extended tribal families, and nomadic warbands. Each is led by one or more Kroot shapers. None outside the Kroot themselves know how a shaper is appointed. That's interesting. Nor the precise source of their unusual wisdom. The crude of their kindred follow them with, with fierce loyalty. Within their society, the shaper's word is law. One of the most important duties of the shapers is to act as negotiators. They seek out mercenary employment for their kindreds and set the terms of each contract. Many of these arrangements... Now, that's, that's really important because that explains the importance of Encore Proc, who negotiated the joining of the crude species to the Tau. Empire, that's fantastic. Um, that's ah, this book is okay. Many of these arrangements are formed with the Tau, but by no means all of them. Here we go. 
Crute have little compunction as to who their employers are, nor the nature of the often dirty and brutal jobs they are hired to perform. Their strange, void-faring war spears ply the space lanes far and wide, and Crute mercenaries have been have been seen fighting with human inquisitors, rogue traders, Eldari of various sorts, an allegiance with gnarl-skinned Demiurg, and on behalf of even stranger and more shadowy employers, gnarl-skinned Demiurg. That's the first time they've ever described the Demiurg biology. Okay. There are exceptions to this open policy, of course. Few Crute would stoop so low as to fight alongside servants of the ruinous powers, while none would ever sully themselves by fighting for the orcs. Okay. That's okay. That's a, that's a break with uh, some traditional lore, but that's not that extreme. The Crute, it, it didn't make a lot of sense, I guess, that the, the Crute uh, used to ally with, uh, or, or used to uh, be employed by orcs. Yeah, it's, uh, not, I don't mind it, the bend. It makes sense why they wouldn't want to work with the Crute, or with the orcs, considering the whole... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Compared, compared to the Tau, Crute are warlike and bloodthirsty savages, yet they are neither stupid nor beastal. The Crute are uncommonly skilled trekkers and wilderness fighters, experts in fieldcraft, and so on and so forth. Uh, they go on for quite some time. Uh, Vresk, you'll be happy. That's all I'll say. Um, it goes into subspecies. Uh, very short. Uh, they basically talk about uh, hounds. Um, they talk about the Crute ox. Uh, they talk about... And that's, uh, that's it. Yeah, just, it's basically just a rundown of the models that you can deploy. Uh, next, we have uh, Insignia of the Empire. Um, yeah, just it's unit markings and stuff like that. You can see it on the decal sheet. Oh, interesting. There, the pa- Oh, sorry. What's up? Is there crew unit markings? Uh, let's see. Um, there is uh, a lot of the Pathfinders from the Chalnath uh, expansion. Uh, that is shown. That makes sense. Um, oh, okay. Just just for everybody who's always uh, wondering about how to paint their stuff, um, a regimented system of helm colors and armor markings is evident throughout the Tau Empire, applied uniformly across the armies of every sept, from indications of rank and seniority to signifiers of honor, such as the Talisir bonding knife or status as a chosen bodyguard. These sigils convey their meaning to all Tau at a glance. Um, with that all said, the Tau are pragmatic enough to recognize that the realities of combat and the priority of preserving lives must come before pomp and ceremony. Thus, many Tau cadres have their armor and vehicles rapidly recolored between war zones in order to adopt camouflage schemes more appropriate to whatever theaters they are to fight in. Such flexibility is uncommon sense aids them. Oh, such flexibility and common sense aids them greatly in battle. So that's that's again nice nice to just see it. Uh, and black and white. Um, moving on, uh, we're we're just seeing more insignia for crisis suits, some insignia for ghost keels, uh, for commanders. Um, these are now we're getting into miniatures. Uh, yeah, it's basically just staged photo uh, photos. Um, okay. Yep, really cool. Really cool stage photos. They're getting really good at that. Um, and the models are painted beautifully. And uh, oh, okay. Well, that might be it. We just get to the rules now. Um, I am going to just 
skim so, very quickly. A, a fun note with the rules, Farsight cannot actually use the Crisis Suit power because he doesn't have the keywords. So Farsight cannot give units, Crisis Suit units the full back and shoot and charge. By the way... I, you know, it's always the spirit of the game for me. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can make your own uh, sept, or at least you can uh, give rules to it's, septs that aren't listed. It's give, um, it's give rules to septs that aren't listed. <laughs> it's not create your own sept. It's allied septs. Again, I will, I'll go through all of the flavor text for all of the different uh, equipment pieces and stuff like that, because there's always little things here and there. Um... I want to know who brought up the fact that like Tau don't use other alien technologies because they definitely do. It's listed in a couple different places. Um, we get to prototype systems. Um, looks like yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody's seen these things. Uh, all I mean, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, Turtide Engram Nero chip. Stuff like that. It's cool. There are little. There are little. Uh, uh, there's there's artwork dedicated to these pieces. I just have no idea. They, they, there are no models for this stuff, and it looks like somebody just photo bashed it with different like. It, it's weird. There's uh, it's weird. There's also a really cool crude uh, rifle that I hope we get a. The crude rifle looks like something that the Dark Eldar made. Um. Invocations of the Ethereals, Chapter Approved Rules. The um, then we've got the... The, the uh, mm -hmm. fruit rifle is interesting. Uh, here, I'll read it, especially for the benefit of Vresk. Uh, here. <clears throat> um, okay. So I, I, I'm going to butcher this, but it's Kachaktar. Crute legend has it that this ornate rifle known as Kachaktar has consumed numerous weapons just as Crute devour their foes, gaining ever more power and poise from each such supposed feast. It is a beautifully balanced it is beautifully balanced, a tool of such precision marksmanship that it rend only renders the violent detonations of each impact shot all the more shocking. I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah. Okay. It's weird <laughs> and cool but yeah i mean now that i'm looking at it like yeah i see dark eldar stuff i see like what could be like orc stuff maybe it's weird it's weird but cool cool uh yeah. then we get into there's a picture of the yeah. gauntlet for finally oh oh that's right there's finally uh, yeah yeah there's finally a picture of the onager gauntlet i it looks like oh. the uh, Hulkbuster fist thing. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, cool. I hope we, you know, I hope we get it one day, I guess. It, yeah, it's a Hulkbuster. That's, that's the best way to describe it. Um, then we've got the expanding uh, the Empire rules. Again, all old artwork. Um, just slightly colorized. Um uh, Crusade Relics. Um, doo, doo, doo. Then you get uh, some pages. Oh, there's a Tau Empire name generator. 
Um, interesting that they don't allow, they don't have, uh, they don't have an ethereal naming scheme. Um, kind of unusual. Uh, they are missing for oh individual. Oh, I see their actual yeah. name, and then I think this is yeah, for yeah. any. If you look over on the left side, it says town names cast. It says Shasvio, Core, and Poor, but no mention of Ethereum. Oh, for... I yeah. see. Yeah, kind of weird. Kind of weird. Uh, then there's a you know page where you're probably you're probably supposed to scan it or or, or uh, print uh, uh, print out so that you can use it for multiple uh, crusades. Um, there's the explanation of some more data sheet stuff. There's a breakdown of drones with with pictures of each drone that is available in the model line. Um, interestingly, uh, in I'm now in the units the. Commander Shadow Sun is actually more expensive than Commander Farsight. That's interesting. It's because Shadow oh. Sun um, has special rules. She gives out reroll all hit rolls, and she mm-hmm. also increases range of her auras by three inches. Um, she has a mm. bunch of stuff that, like, it just. I think she's only ending up being twenty more points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, anyway, uh, th- these are all of the, like, unit entries. There's nothing really new. Here, I'm going to just see if Anva... Uh, Anva is equipped with nothing. Uh... Anva is equipped with nothing. He can do nothing. Every ethereal guard is equipped with Supreme Honor Blade. It, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't say if the ethereal uh, guard is... Or ethereals or, or fire warriors. Personally, just for the record, I uh, I think they're ethereals. I don't know why they would be. Uh, I don't know why they would be firecast. Uh, Log Loglin, yeah. Hey, Loglin. Hello. I'm I'm here. Yeah, Shadow Welcome. Sun. Because looks... <laughs> she's got a fancier suit, that's why she's more expensive. Ah, it's, it's explained. I do. <laughs> I do hope that they, whenever they update Farsight's uh, crisis suit, I, I like I like that he's supposed to have like an older model, you know, like it's an it's an older model of of, yeah. of the XV. Um, maybe it won't be fine cast yeah. soon. Do you know about on page nineteen ninety one? Is this um, they all the, these models on page nineteen ninety one? They're all converted if you look in the images, and I'm wondering mm. are those um old? Um, conversion, so they're redone up. Ninety ninety one. Okay, I'm looking. Uh, I see the devil fish. Really cool paint job. Um, good weathering. Uh, these are. Oh yeah, no, that is. There's absolutely... a couple conversions on a couple things. Nice. So the um the, like, the main the main crisis suit. They've got a. I think it's a broadside shoulder plate on his chest. Mm. Oh, sorry, I don't know if I'm yeah. getting my codex tomorrow. You got to post the pictures. <laughs> uh, I, well, we'll post. Uh, I'll I'll post the pictures. Okay. Put, but there's a really cool like. There's like I'm, I'm assuming it's like a. It, it looks like a Pathfinder character or like the guy custom made a fire blade. Actually, that's an interesting thing to maybe look up. Shadow Pathfinder is it the Shadow Pathfinder model? Is it my boy? <laughs> Uh, let me just see really quick. I miss him. Catch a fireblade. Up oh, no. I thought for a sec that the fireblade would get to have uh, pulse car or pulse carbines rather than just 
a pulse rifle. But it doesn't. Maybe it's someone's custom Dark Strider then. Yeah, that, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. Um, okay. Looks like the we're just winding down. These are all of the different unit entries. Um, you know, I do wish that they had mentioned something about the Vespid, but it doesn't look like there's any lore on the Vespid. Um, just the Croot, which is unusual. Vespid doesn't um, know. Well, I mean, I just remember, like, the Vespid are considered... Uh, they're considered more. Uh, they're they're held in higher esteem than the crew, and that's why they're allowed to operate with the crisis suits. Um, hmm. well, the other thing I wanted to say is, looking at how they were, they will go much more in depth. I thought anyway in this codex than the last codex about Alex auxiliaries at the start, mm -hmm. and makes it much more very clear that they say they use the auxiliaries to fulfill roles they don't do, which does give me hope for the potential of more auxiliary models in the future. That yeah, I mean, it's just really a cash cow. It, it re I really just think it's a cash cow. You know, like, whatever they end up, mm. uh, you know, like, I, I just, I, I yeah, I, I wonder... I wonder why they haven't done it. There was this rumor a couple of years ago that they were going to release, uh, uh, like, basically a conversion box that was going to have, like, a variety of different aliens inside of it. Uh, that you could like basically like the the Cadian or the Catachin uh, boxes where you could swap out the heads and stuff like that. And it, I mean, it seemed like it seemed like such a no brainer. We're all we're we're all tapped into the same addiction, you know. Like, who wouldn't want a yeah. sweet like tentacle head? <laughs> um, yeah, okay. they went a lot into the psycho one as well, which I thought was interesting. That's yeah, to be... yeah, cool. I'm uh, yeah, I'm at the end. Uh, I'm at the end of the book. Uh, other than that, so it's just rules. So in in summation, you know, there's a there's a couple new art pages. There's that big story that shows uh, that shows potentially where we're all going with the, the sixth sphere expansion. That's cool. But again, like I think that this book is incredible. I don't think that it. I, 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 and again, maybe I have to go over it with a fine tooth comb. Um, I I don't. See I, I only see good things in this book. I don't see any of the rumored, like like uh, changes that the tower evil and they like hate everybody and they use their auxiliaries as as meat grinder forces or whatever. Um, I'm I'm going. You know, it seems like the most hard nosed thing is that uh, if diplomacy fails, they'll conquer you. Um, which again has has kind of always been the case, but like they've, they've doubled down on it here. And I guess that maybe like maybe just more hard, harder language on on the ethereals, but not much. Definitely not as much that has been in coming out of Black Library. There's no mention of the greater good God, which is something that I was really freaking out about. It's a decent. I mean, lore wise, this is it's a ninety six percent approved. Like I, I think this is an A plus. You know, um, the, yeah, Redrick's. I, 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 I call back to Farsight is just. It, the, I think I think bringing Farsight back into the realm of mystery, uh, and distancing him from where he could have potentially been going, and and especially saying that the Tau might you know, start expanding through other wormholes across the galaxy. I mean, like, it's just, 
it's again, it's just, uh, it's just a slam dunk, like A plus, A plus.